ladies and gents, welcome to the Moss Outdoorsman with our man, Randall Moss, the small town boy from Gastonia who became a man, a husband, and a father. The six sport, that's right, six sport athlete who became a hunter, a fisherman, and an outdoorsman. You know, sometimes when the ball start bouncing, as he would say, you gotta find something to give you that brush. And boy, oh boy, did my man find something in hunting, fishing, and the outdoorsman life. Now he's giving you tips and tricks so that you could be on top of your game. So now, without further ado, y'all give it up for the host, Mr. Brown Redneck himself, Randy Moss. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Randy, a.k.a. The Brown Redneck. We're getting ready to shoot episode seven of the podcast. I got my fam in the back, Marcus Mooney, the poet. What up? What up, everybody? And also, we got a special guest that is a professional hunter, uh, Eric Morrison. Eric, what's up, man? What's going on? How you doing? Man, doing good, bro. Very hey, nice to have you. Yeah, awesome, man. Very nice to have you calling in, man. We appreciate you joining the show. Yeah, man, it's my pleasure to be here with y'all. I'm looking forward to having this conversation. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, Eric, go ahead and uh, tell the people a little bit about yourself. Well, y'all, my name is Eric Morris, and I am the producer and host of Non-Typical Outdoorsman TV, the most diverse outdoor television show on the planet. And uh, what I do, y'all, is bring quality, real content to hunting the outdoors. I bring diversity to hunting. I bring diversity to hunting in the outdoors. So. Uh, I'm originally from, Al- from Alabama. I live here just outside of Atlanta, Georgia right now. And uh, I've been hunting for a long time. And so for the past 13 years or so, I have been on the grind. Yes, sir. Go ahead and uh, tell the people where exactly they can find you on that platform. Uh, Richie, but, you know, they don't really mean it. It's kind of, you know, a, a, a side conversation, almost like a side show at the circus. But uh, I actually bring it because America needs it. No doubt, no doubt, definitely, definitely. So, Eric, where can um everybody find you on uh, social media and far as uh your platform with your show? Well, the, the show comes on the channel is one of the three major networks with um you know that's on television, and I can be found um on um Instagram, which is non typical outdoorsman, uh Twitter non typical outdoorsman TV. Uh, if you ask Google Eric N.T.O. Morris or Non-Typical Outdoors on TV, you'll find a ton of ways to get a hold to me and the team here at Non-Typical Outdoors on TV. Awesome. Nice, nice, nice man. Man, it's bro. How in the world you balance all that, man? That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I got a lot going on. And, um, you know, the, the thing I tell you is that for some people, you know, hunt, you know, for some people, hunting is a passion. So hunting is a hobby. For me, hunting is a, is a job. It's a lifestyle. So I do have a lot going on with the television show, nonprofit, you know, interviews. I'm a fairly busy man. As I always joke, you know, I'm not on the Steve Harvey level yet, but, you know, I stay pretty busy. So it's a, it, it's a, it, a balancing act for sure. Man, I don't even know if Steve Harvey on the Steve Harvey level. Good, crazy. <laughs> that, that's crazy. That brother got a crazy schedule, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I'm finding the need. You know, I, I look at it and, you know, I'm a down to earth guy. So for your listeners, and everything, the way they hear me, you know, if you look online and see stuff about me, what you see is, is reality. This is what I am. 
so as a as a as a I guess a side effect or a downside to that is that sometimes you meet people and uh, have a good conversation and uh, we exchange phone numbers or whatever and um, you know they hit me up we talk but after a while that starts multiplying like by 20 30 40 60 people and it can be kind of hectic at times when you get bombarded by social media you get hit up on Facebook Instagram um, Text message, email, you know, Snapchat. I mean, you, you name it. I mean, it's like, oh my goodness. Sometimes I don't get nothing done but just social media. So I'm bringing a person in for my team and my pro staff to do nothing but just social media stuff for me, so I can kind of take a breather. Nice, nice. Yeah, I had said I was gonna bring the assistant in just to give me water and grace, but my wife said no. <laughs> <laughs> Man, hey, you my kind of people, though, Doc. <laughs> you my kind of people, man. Oh, man. Randy, what you got for the people, oh, yeah. man? So on, on the show today um, with Eric, let's talk about what can we do to bring more people of color into the outdoors? Oh, man. We can talk about that all night if you want to. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. I know I I pulled um, some information via online. Um just throwing out some numbers as far as statistics, I don't know how accurate they are, but it says that 71.1% of hunters are white. It says 8.3% are Hispanic or Latino. 78 is American, Indian, and Alaska Native. 59 is Asian. 4.0 is unknown. And 2.9 is Black or African American. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> well, Randy, here's what I tell you, man. Uh, one question those those statistics. I'm out here on the grind, on the ground at the grassroots level every day, promoting hunting and out, particularly so to the black community. And personally, I don't believe those statistics. Um, <laughs> like many other things we see in the news and in media, you know, we're dead last, you know, doing the worst of, of anybody else, and uh, I don't believe that. I talk to way too many people, way, way too many people who are black and they, um, you know, hunt. Um, you know, I, I find that number again to be hard to believe, you know, looking at the, you know, that, that more Asians hunt than black people. When black people have, have had a long history, if any people hunt than black people, uh, it's great that everybody, you know, of those, you know, ethnic groups that you mentioned hunt, but, um, <laughs> I, I don't believe for one second that, that, that black hunters make up only 2% out of everybody in America. So to get back to your question, to uh, answer your question of what can we do to get more people of color involved in outdoors, I'll tell everybody this, you know, you, your viewers, um, I'll tell everybody this, you know, there are groups out there already um, who focus and work hard to get people of color into the outdoors. Uh, I know across the nation right now, there's a lot of talk about R3. There's a lot of other initiatives to get more um, diversity of people from diverse backgrounds into hunting. Uh, so there are a lot of people out there already doing stuff like that. Uh, but to be specific, um, one is introductions. I believe for a long time, you know, that the quickest way to get somebody to come, I mean, to go hunting and start doing stuff in outdoors is to extend an invitation. And, uh, you know, give them an introduction to the outdoors. Um, you know, as I tell these agencies and people out there who 
I guess in my words, pretend that it's so hard to find minorities to hunt. Oftentimes, that's just an scapegoat. That's just a, 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 an excuse that they tell themselves and a lie that they tell themselves. But it's not hard. Um, just me, me personally, overwhelmed at you know the amount of people that are asking me to take them hunting. Uh, I can't handle them all. Me and my team can't handle them all. So, you know, there is no shortage of people in the outdoors. Uh, what other statistics did you have, uh, Randy, about, about that stuff? Those were the only ones that I had pulled. Um, like you had mentioned earlier, I definitely think those numbers are not accurate at all. Um, I know me, myself, personally, I know a lot of people um, that's in the outdoors, hunting, fishing, you know, camping, hiking, etc., um, I definitely think that um, we need more mentors. We need more people to, what's the quote, each one teach one. Yeah, that's um, I would say definitely start doing things such as summer camps, you know, just like we do with everything else with the kids. Whether it's, you know, a day camp, three or a five day camp, you know. And make it uh, interesting and fun, just like we do with the other sports. Yeah, I mean, I definitely would. Me yeah. personally, I would sign yeah. my kids up in a, in a heartbeat. Um, you know, especially now that that you know that you've introduced me to a, a lot of a lot of things that I didn't know myself or wasn't privy to myself. You know, um, I'm I'm one now that I want to learn more, but then I want I want my kids to learn more. You know. And and y'all question the statistics, man. I I, I question statistics when it comes to people of color anyway, because I know how I am. If somebody just come up to my door asking me a oh, bunch yeah. of questions, I'm not about to answer all of those questions. I'm not about to tell you everything I do. Like that's just not how <laughs> I get down. And most people in my circle are the same way. So right. where are they getting these numbers from anyway? <laughs> right. You know? Right. Right. Yeah. I know in the past, um, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, some of the, a lot of that is based off of license sales and how people identify on their license sales sometimes. Um, I've known people, you know, I happen to be you know, at that golden age to where I've seen both sides of the story. And as I get older, you know, a lot of things make sense. And I can reflect back on when I was younger in my teens and 20s and uh, would see some of the things that people would do. And now I say, you know what, that didn't make any sense at all. For instance. I have known black people who, when they ask for race, they will put white or another ethnicity for some reason. Uh, I'm not sure how much that is going on now in, in you know, 2020 or 2023 or whatever year we want to talk about. But there, there are instances where people will miss, well, will basically lie about the ethnicity for whatever reason. Um, but I always question the the, the data because. What, what advantage would you get from that, though, bro? Like, like in lying about your ethnicity on a license, like what is there? You got to ask the person that do it. <laughs> <laughs> I've known them. Hey, hey, I've known people to have done that for whatever reason. They, they, they will put down white or whatever, you know, uh, other than black. Um, and so, you know, a lot of times, too, I'll, you know, I don't know. I always question the data because it's not always accurate. I put it like that. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff we hear, you know, um, in, the, in the news and in the social statistics about uh, the different ethnic groups in America, blacks are always, you know, either leading the pack in the wrong direction for the wrong thing, according to statistics, or dead last compared to the other ethnicities for whatever reason. So 
you know, I'm always a little, um, you know, skeptical of when I hear these statistics being pointed out, particularly when I look, you know, around me and say, no, that's, that can be true. But the thing I will say, y'all, is this. Um, you know, you asked a question, Randy, about um, um, what can we do to get more people of color involved? You mentioned mentoring. Mentoring is key. Having, uh, you know, for my outdoor show, part of the intro, what I say to my intro is, uh, I said if I, if I would ever have a television show, uh, if I ever had a television show, I would be the example for other people to see and for other people to follow. And so um, oftentimes, you know, there's a saying out there that you can't be what you can't see. And the representation, the power of representation, I should say, is strong because once a person can see can see somebody who looks like them or resembles them doing something that they want to do, then they kind of lights the fire and plants the seed that they can do it too. And I can't count how many times people have just come up to me and just, you know, wanted to thank me for doing what I'm doing and thank me for just, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say paving the path, but I would say, uh, you know, just being upfront and straightforward like I am. Because oftentimes, you know, for, for, for most of America's history, Black hunters have been kept in the in the background. Um, you know, we out there, always have been. But uh, as we, as we talked a little bit earlier, uh, Randy, you know, they were talking about. Um, um, I mean, I think we mentioned. I think you would have wanted to mention it that if mainstream America wanted black people on hunting shows and TV shows like that, then they would already have it by now. Yeah. And I think it's true. I think it's true. Man, that's that's powerful, bro. Like you, you got me thinking about this whole thing with the statistics, even like, and 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 I'll say this, okay, because I I don't want to make everything racial, right? You know, but, but we we can do this. We can say this easy. Like we know that there were a, there was a time not too long ago where yeah, we could make the excuse and the argument that certain representation was not being put out there the way it should. However, now. Right. We, I feel like we don't really have that same excuse, maybe on a mainstream level still, but we have platforms like this now. We have outlets and ways to do it ourselves, to represent ourselves. So now it's our responsibility to reverse the narrative of a lot of this stuff uh, where we didn't have the, the power and authority and the platforms and the, and the resources. Well, now, yeah, we starting to get where we need to be, man. So I'm, I'm just glad to be, you know, amongst two brothers in conversation right here who have those things in mind and already making power moves in, in that space. Yeah. Hey, you know, we got to do, we got to do, we got to represent. That's one of my, that's one of my personal models is represent because again, you know, um, it, it can send a powerful message when someone who, you know, who, who looks up to you saying, you know what, Hey, if they can do it or if they're doing it, then we can too. So, you know, whatever i can do to uh you know to help inspire somebody to hunt um then so be it nice so i say right now i'm i'm making a call to all the hunters out there hunters come together and unite and let's collaborate and make something shake there it is (laughs) well you know hopefully they answer the call and the thing i tell people is this you know um you know it's we can, I'm like a, me personally, I'm all for collaboration, uh, but with one caveat, that is, well, two caveats. One, if those people or persons are good at their craft, which means, you know, good at what they do. And then two, if they have the same vision and goals that I do, 
because, you know, when it comes to hunting, you have all kind of hunters out there, y'all. You got hunters out there who, uh, I'll start with me, you have people like me who see the bigger picture, understand the importance of operating at the higher levels of the hunting industry, not not down on, you know, in the woods saying, I got me two squirrels today, look at me, or not saying I shot this big butt, look at me, because really none of that stuff matters. When it comes to doing business and when it comes to getting representation and being respected in the outdoor industry, you have to be better than good and you have to understand the overall picture. And so, um, you know, I'm all for collaborating, you know, with people like that, because sometimes we all have different missions, different goals as to why we hunt, as to why we have a platform. And so, um, you know, I just throw it out there. That's good, man. I think it goes back to what you said earlier, too, um, Randall. <clears throat> when you talked about um, mentorship, because, you know, for the novice like myself and others, like in order to even get good, to even get great, like we need to be introduced, learn, you know, we need to learn, we need to be taught. And so we need the outlets from guys like yourself who, you know, you're in there, you, you at a space now where you can teach because you've learned and you've experienced, you know, so now those platforms are there for us to, you know, and then you, you never know, you, you know, you get into something thinking, well, I, I like to learn about that. And you fall in love with it, you know, next day, you know, yeah. you, yeah. you know, you like you guys, you know, you locked in and, and you growing, growing your own platform and then you giving back too. But we need more of that. Like you said earlier, we definitely need more of that. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Definitely. Um, I know what I'm trying to do for as my goal and platform. Um, I'm doing a combination of martial arts and outdoors. And I want to do as much as I can to introduce more people into the outdoors and keep the kids off the streets, especially this younger generation, because they out here acting a fool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, everybody has to care beyond their own circumstances, because sometimes you can get the mentality like, OK, well, I'm good. My kids are good. So we good. You know, I'll just read about everything else that's going on with everybody else. But you got to care beyond your own circumstances to say, OK, I'm good. My kids are good. But is my community good? It's, you know, my neighborhood, my community, you know, it's, it's are my people good, even my family, you exactly. know. And so you got to start looking beyond your own and, and, you know, and care a little bit more to say, OK, I need to do something more than what I'm doing now that I've gotten to a certain spot, you know, with things, because you definitely want to lock down your household first. You know, that's just common sense. Right, right. Of course. But once you get in a good place, it's like, okay, he has built his platform. He got his stuff. He, he, he got people, you know, putting people on. Okay, now he's ready to go out and touch beyond his, you know, beyond his scope. And I think that's what we really need as well. You know what I'm saying? That's part of what, like you're saying, the mentorship and stuff coming in. But people got to care. You know, you got to care. <clears throat> excuse me. You got to care enough to move beyond yourself. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Definitely. You know, one thing, too, that um, as far as the, the quickest way uh, for people to get involved who want to uh, do more is to become hunter education instructors. I've been promoting that uh, for the last, ooh, man, 10 years, I think. Yeah, last, yeah, 10 years. I've been promoting um, the need to get more black people, uh, more people of color. Um, certified as hunter education instructors because across the nation black hispanic asian middle eastern whatever you want to call it uh based on the demographic um there is a lack of non-white instructors when it comes to hunting in the outdoors so um 
you know, a lot of white guys out there and white women, you know, they go out of their way and go, you know, the extra 10 miles to try to reach more minorities and get more minorities involved. But, you know, oftentimes they struggle. Um, and I've done classes myself. I probably have taught, I, I don't know. I mean, I like, so I, I guess I'm going to say it. I probably have taught more black people in under education than most on, uh, instructors across the nation because, a lot of people, um, when I teach a class, and I have one coming up probably in September more likely, but when I teach a class, most people flock to it. Um, and, and it's just, you know, again, the power of representation. But for those who want to get out there and to make an immediate difference, you know, inquire about how to become a hunter education instructor. So that's that's so that would be the process. It's just You just need to inquire about it, or do you kind of know the inside of how you would even get started with with that process yeah i know the insides but each state is different but they pretty much all work the same you know the, the general same way uh to be a hunter education instructor you have to have some years of experience some states have different um requirements for how long you have to be a hunter because after all if you're going to teach other people and certify other people you can't be a novice yourself because some of the questions that they ask you know that the student will ask uh you know it, it would help if you knew you know if the person knew so my recommendation and my advice to people is to, uh, you know, if you've been hunting for a while and want to step up to the next level and just not be just a hunter, then become a hunter education instructor. And uh, I, I would say check with your state, whether it be North Carolina, Texas, Florida, Georgia, wherever, but check with your state to see what is, um, you know, how do you start becoming a hunter education instructor? The first step is to go online and look and see, look up how to become a hunter education instructor. Second step is to contact your state's DNR, your hunting education uh, coordinator for the state, and tell them that you would like to become a hunter education instructor. So that's, you know, those are the first two steps. Nice. nice. That's some great information. Great information. I agree. What what other uh, tips would you give the people besides that? Well, Well, besides that, uh, well, I, I will give a few because we're talking about, I guess, stepping up to the next level, doing more to uh, teach people in your community how to hunt. So for one, the very first thing that you should do is to commit to becoming a leader and not just a, a hunter. Uh, commit to becoming uh, someone, a mentor, somebody who can teach others how to hunt. Because when it comes to hunting, you have a wide range of hunters from people who on, on the lower end of the spectrum who just ride around the road, you know, night hunting and shooting stuff on the road and doing all kind of illegal stuff, saying if it's brown, it's down, up to those who are on the, you know, boards and uh, councils of other conservation groups and hunting organizations. So uh, you want to commit to becoming a mentor. That's one. Uh, two, commit to becoming the best hunter that you can be. Um you know, all hunters are not created equal. All hunters are not on the same level. You have some that are, you know, mediocre hunters. You have some that are excellent hunters. When it comes to being a mentor, you don't have to be an expert, though, but you have to be committed to teaching what you know and to, and, and to learning, to do, uh, you know, to be better, a better hunter, a better instructor, a better communicator. Um, that's the second thing I would say. Uh, the third thing is, too, and it's something we all can do, and it's something that will help uh, make an immediate impact, a true immediate immediate impact is to go join a conservation group such as Ducks Unlimited, Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever, National Wild Turkey Federation, Rocky Mountain, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, 
um, Delta Waterfowl, um, the Rough the Rough Grouse Society, um, all these organizations, they are all lacking minority members, minority participation. Most black people have not even heard of these groups and don't even belong to any of them. So by us going out, whether you be black, Hispanic, Asian, Pacific Islander, whatever, by us going out and joining these organizations, one, we've shown up to the table to participate. Two, you'd be surprised at what you can learn when you go to these groups. Now, for the black people who may be listening to this, who may be saying, well, you know, there's a bunch of white guys. I don't want to go out there, all them white guys. My thing is, go anyway, because it is unlikely for you to find an all-black group of the um, National Wild Turkey you know, Federation people or any conservation group, because blacks just don't show up as we should to these uh, organizations to, to, to represent and to participate. So go join these organizations and, uh, you know, prepare to learn. Prepare to be involved and prepare to, uh, you know, be a part of the solution. In your experience, so I would say, mm-hmm. why do you think we don't show up? Well, I've been part of a lot of these groups. And the last, I'm a lot of things, but the last thing that I consider myself to be is a token. But oftentimes I have been a token in a lot of these places, not because it was designed that way, but because I was the only black person that was there. And so, you know, they were happy to help me. I put it like that. But uh, the re- one reason I've talked to other black people about coming out, and sometimes I, w- I would just say this. A lot of black people don't have the self-confidence to participate in those groups when they, where they are the true minority, where they are the only one or one of few. Most black people, um, like a lot of white people, feel comfortable if there's others in attendance that look like them. So it takes a strong, capable person who can actually go to these uh, events, stand there with their head up and their chest out, speaking on facts and speaking knowledge about what's going on. Um, a lot of times people are intimidated to go. So as I said, you know, when it comes to, to, to um, going down this road that we're trying to create, create which is called more diversity, you know, you, you have to have your trailblazers, your people who are knowledgeable, who are good to go out. But, you know, a lot of black people sometimes just don't feel comfortable. As I always tell these groups when I speak before different audiences and stuff, I'll tell people that, you know, hunting, and although people will like to pretend and act like what goes on in the world does not affect hunting, it does. Social unrest, Social injustice, racism, sex, I mean, all this kind of stuff plays a part in hunting. Because if you see something taking place in our society, what are the parents and what are the black parents, Hispanic parents going to tell their kids about going hunting with sometimes what would be an all white group or being out in the woods by yourself? So there's a whole different conversation pertaining to that. But from my experience, uh, you haven't had a lot of, uh, I, haven't, I mean, most black people just don't have the confidence uh, from, from what I've seen, the, the courage, the knowledge, uh, and the will to go blaze that trail. You know, they want, you know, they, it's, you know, <laughs> it's something they just won't show up. Man, I think that, <clears throat> I think that kind of addresses uh, another need, though, man. I think it kind of, 
does the merry-go-round effect it comes back around to to the issue that we talked about earlier and that's representation because if if we all the three grew up with parents who were you know part of this or we had uncles or, or someone in our family that introduced us to these groups early on then you don't right, right. grow up like you know you know with a disconnect right and then thinking well i've never been right. a part of that so i don't want to be the one blazing trail like no there's a there's already a history of that in your family somewhere someone connecting or right. you know someone in your community so we we got to do some work i think there on that level to build it up to where okay at least by the next generation maybe we start to see a lot more improvement because like you say we're the ones blazing the trail now it's on us to see okay this is where the issue is so how do we undo that issue well we got to start somewhere so let's let's be the ones to start it yeah well yeah um, you know, it's because I've been, I've been, you know, being me being retired from the uh, army, I have been around the country a lot, and I have been to a lot of, um, you know, different organizations, Quail Forever, Feathers Forever, uh, Ducks Unlimited, um, you know, all kind of outdoor events, sporting club events, and I have yet to see strong representation from black people, um, you know. You, you normally and I just go out and say, I just go out and say it because it is what it is. Normally you find one or two types. You find um, the black person who is there to participate, to learn, to help bring other people in. Then you have the black person that's there who is proud to be the only one and doing everything they can to keep other black people out. So I hate to be you know blunt like that, but you do have those people out there and uh they've always been around since since the antebellum south days and they've always had a name you know drop uh, to describe how they are so yeah like yeah, they say so be you, your own kind good crazy like so you have a few like that you know because they I, I've, I've run across a lot and they have uh kind of you know garnered the attention garnered the respect of a lot of the um you know people from the organization and instead of them welcoming you with open arms they will kind of have a stiff arm, almost like they're like a running back, trying to keep you from coming in. So those are out there. You have to be careful because everybody, you know, um, you know, as as they say in the black community, all skin folk ain't kin folk. So, um, you know, um, you know, yeah. So you just gotta watch out for that though. But you know, it's it's there is a good opportunity, you know, to. Um, um, join and be part of these organizations because right now there's a big push among many and uh, I was just talking about this with a group a few weeks ago up in North Carolina and um, there's a big push across the country to get more diversity and inclusion into a lot, a lot of these groups. Now on one hand, you know, as President Obama used to say, hey, let me be clear, um, not all groups are sincere and really want diversity. They say it because it's popular to say they get funding when they, you know, you know, play that game, but deep down inside, uh, some are not that sincere about it and really, really could care less. But there's others that are trying to their best to get uh, more minorities involved. I get approached all the time by different companies and organizations wanting me to help them with their diversity efforts because I consider myself to be an expert and to be the best in the nation at getting minorities and people of color to hunt and to introduce them to the outdoors. I would challenge anybody to find someone better than me. So they contact me and they want me to help with this organization or that organization. And 
for the most part, y'all, you know, I'm all for it. I'm all for, you know, bringing more people in, exposing them to a lot of things that they probably did not know about, did not know existed. But what I always tell these companies, these agents, and these organizations is this. I'm open to talking about it, and I'm open to the, the, to the opportunity under one condition. And that one condition is I'm only interested if that agency or that company or that organization is truly sincere about increasing the racial diversity of its members. I'm not there to play the game. I'm not there to just, you know, be a token. <laughs> you know, I'm there to help bring results. So I think those are some of the things you can do to help you know, get the ball rolling. I know that's how we met. You invited me on that uh, diversity hunt in South Carolina. And I've yeah. been in contact yeah. with the person that there runs the, the uh, hunts down there. And I've been down there the past few years and plan on going back this year. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. I need to try to get over there. But I tell you the thing, I tell y'all, you know, a lot of people would dream of having, you know, I guess a career or job in the outdoors and doing what they love for a living. But I found that in doing what I do, which is um, hunting, producing a show, getting more minorities involved in the outdoors, it becomes a, more of a job than a passion and a relaxation. So that means that a lot of times where I would have been hunting somewhere, having fun, doing this or that, I'm doing something else, which is also fun. But, you know, it, it's, it's more work than it is pleasure. I'll put it like that. So it becomes more like business okay. first. Well, it, it almost is. Let's say, for instance, um, I was mentioning this a couple of days ago. I said, you know, I remember the day when I would say, hey, I'm going hunting tomorrow. And I'll be, you know, all excited. Can't wait to wake up and go out there in the woods the next day. And I'll sit there just soaking it all in, you know, like, oh, man, this is so nice. And if I see a deer or see whatever I'm hunting and I get it, I just, you know, it's like just, you know, soothing, just like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah. Now it's a little different. Because now it's about, okay, I got to get this shot. I got to get this angle. I got to get this interview. I need to catch this, you know, uh, uh, sunrise. I need to get this and this and this. So it's more, like I said, of a job, which is still fun because I would not rather be doing anything else than what I'm doing right now. But um, it's almost like the people who put together a family reunion, the people who put in the family together, who put together a family reunion, their experience of a family reunion is a little bit different than the person who just show up to eat. You know, if you just show up to participate and eat, you know, you have a good time, but you don't have the stress and the pressure and responsibility uh, that the people who are organizing the family union, the people who are doing the cooking. So I kind of compare it to that, you know. <laughs> man, hey, you just spoke a lot right there because I remember, my man, I, I planned a birthday trip for my mama. Oh, my goodness. And she didn't like anything that I planned. I was like, how is my mama not liking any? She didn't like the restaurant. She didn't like the tour that we went on. I'm like, man, oh, man. oh my goodness, bro. I had a horrible time. And then, and then a couple months later, she's like, you know, I sure enjoyed that trip you did for me on my birthday. I was like, I can't tell. <laughs> yeah. So, like I said, I love doing what I do, but it's a little bit different than, you know, like, for instance, I don't, rarely do I go to the woods just to hunt and just relax to myself, most of the time I'm, you know, it's, it's, it's a work, it's a job. Just like if you are a, I don't know, a radio announcer or anything else, you know, you may be loving what you're doing, but you know that you're not there just for the fun. You're there for, you know, to get a job done. So, um, you know, if, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I was going to say while we got you on the show, um, 
let's talk about uh, what we briefly touched on earlier today um, far as the, um, I guess you would say, the stereotype of introducing uh, young black boys to guns. I know a lot of people, you know, don't want to introduce their children to guns because of, you know, what we all associate it with. Mm-hmm. We did talk about that. Yes, sir. And that has been. Oh, are we going to say something? Oh, no, go ahead. Okay. I was just going to say that, uh, that that's a controversial topic. Um, one that I am pro introducing guns to kids and to young black boys. Um, even the topic and the image, the subconscious of what people have or what people think when you mention young black boys and guns varies from who you talk to. With me, uh, I remember growing up, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. You would, people would think that me being who I am, my own outdoor show, you know, me going all over the world, hunting, introducing people to hunting, guns, doing things like that. You would think that I grew up with guns and, and, and hunting with guns. Well, just what happened, you know, my parents flat out refused to buy me a gun. Uh, I did not have my own gun, my, my, a gun until I bought my own gun at 18 years old once I finished basic training. I was 18, legally, uh, the right age to buy a rifle, and I bought a rifle and a shotgun. But in America today, things have changed a little bit compared to how they were. Blacks have always been seen as a menace uh, to society by some, not all, but by some they have. And the image of black boys with guns does not sit well with a lot of people. So uh, particularly in today's time, uh, when you turn on the news and all you see are black, you know, men, young men, uh, sometimes teenagers, um, as a suspect of this crime, suspect of that murder, doing this and doing that. And some would like to think that it's not, you know, true, but, you know, there is some truth to that. But I would think, you know, me being a country guy from Alabama, born and raised, who now live in Georgia, I don't see anything wrong with introducing uh, black boys to hunting uh, and shooting. Um, but I would say this, you know, parents know their kids and people in the community know kids. Some kids do not need to be around guns, uh, period. And so um, once it's determined that a child is not responsible enough or not mature enough to have a gun, then by all means, don't put a gun in that child's hand. However, I believe in introducing kids to guns early. Uh, my son got his first gun at four years old. And a lot of people might say, oh, my God, four years old, that's way too young. Well, you know what? Hey, what's safer? A, a gun uh, under, with supervision in a child's hand or unsupervised family pet? with the child. I would say that gun is much more safer because that gun doesn't have a mind of its own. That gun, uh, oftentimes, when they, when they make guns for kids and teach them how to, uh, you know, when they make guns for kids and when it comes to teaching them how to shoot, there are sometimes double and triple safeties built into a gun. So that way that gun can only fire sometime with the assistance of an adult until a child gets a certain age. But personally, you know, I don't see anything wrong with it because I look at it like this, y'all. Um, I believe in, in the same standard for everybody. And oftentimes, I, I don't think there's ever been a discussion about whether or not, you know, um, white boys should shoot guns or have, you know, guns or own guns. Uh, I don't think there's ever been a, a topic of, 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 of a social discussion. Um, 
And I don't think that it's, it's a, that there's a difference between the two, black or white. I think that we all the same. We all have the same opportunity. We all have the same interests, the same joys of outdoors. And I don't think anything, there's anything wrong with teaching little black boys how to shoot. I'll say this, and then I'll take a pause so y'all can you know chime in. But I remember talking to a couple about maybe 12, 13 years ago, and um, they were looking for sponsors for a outdoor show that they were putting together. And I was talking to the lady, um, and she said that they had had the hardest time getting sponsors from you know gun companies, other people, just companies in general. And the reason why is because they did not support the idea of putting guns in black kids' hands teach them how to shoot, to take them hunting. They wasn't, they wasn't buying it. And to me, that's a double standard because nobody has, well, I, I would say this, I would ask this question. When has anyone ever questioned the act of putting a gun in a little white kid's hand and taking them hunting? So what's the difference? Yeah, I think that's a great question, man. And, and honestly, um, regardless of, you know, whatever stigma whether it be you know a, a real fact on some levels or whether it be exaggerated on some levels regardless of what's out there as far as the representation of guns with with you know black people i know this and you know this as well no matter what type of tool it is it's not the tool itself but it's the person that's using the tool and no matter what walk or Absolutely. background you come from as long as you are properly taught and guided in the right direction, then that tool can be an asset to be used for the right reasons, the reasons why the tool itself was made. Right. Um, so we have to be more conscious right. of that and the fact that some of these statistics come from areas where there is a has been a pattern of that, you know, that type of behavior where the wrong things have not, the right things haven't been taught and the wrong things have unfortunately surfaced uh, time and time again. Uh, but there are several, several, yeah. several other scenarios out there where the right thing has been taught and the right thing has been exercised. It just doesn't make the news because it doesn't capture people's attention the same way as a lot of the negative stuff does. Yeah, that's true. And I know that, um, you know, there, there's a narrative sometimes that has been promoted in about the black community, about guns. And sometimes all it takes is for um, you know one or two bad apples to um, to do something, and the response may be, "See, I told you." Um, you know, I mean, it's it's a lot of times people have, I think, uh, Subway called it unconscious biasness, <laughs> and uh, people have this unconscious uh, biases against certain people just because of how they look. Now, the thing that I'm all about is this, y'all. Um, you no, know, I understand that culture plays a big role in how we see guns. Um, in the South, in rural areas, guns are seen and portrayed one way. In some of the city and urban environments, guns are seen and portrayed another way. And so, um, you know, it, it's all about introduction. I believe that... Um, you know, introducing kids to firearms early is crucial because when my son, like I said, my son and my daughter, they were introduced to guns early. My son had his hand on the gun before he could even walk. <laughs> I'm just, no, no lie. And so I purposely did that to take all the excitement out of it, to make him used to it. So therefore, and it worked. 
Right now, he's 13. Unfortunately, unfortunately for me, he can care less about a gun because <laughs> he's been around it. He shot him, so you know he's like, okay, you know, been there, done that. There's nothing exciting about that. You know, um, you take a kid, and you can always tell a child who have not, who has not been introduced to guns because my son's 13. He see guns. I mean, guns is like you know furniture or a broom or whatever else around the house. But you can tell a child that has not been introduced to guns because if you have a gun out, as soon as they see a gun, ooh, look, a gun. That is like curiosity and an accident waiting to happen because they have either been kept away from it or not been exposed to it. And so now you, you got a problem on your hands. Yeah, you know, I so I was that kid. That. I, I wasn't really around them like that. I mean, my you know, I I I was around them, but not like that as far as my my personal household. You know, my my dad wasn't one to you know to to have it out and stuff like that. You know, now my grandmother, on the other hand, she kept hers on deck. Like you know, her no one wanted to get her purse because she had she kept that forty five and that thing was heavy. You know, said I'll look at like I gotta get grandma's purse. Dang, that thing heavy. You know. But um, but when I was around my my friends, by, by the time I became a teenager, like like we were talking about, you know, the unfortunately it was it was so, so much negativity around guns by that time because I had a a couple of friends that had gotten shot and stuff like that. That you know, by the time I got there, like whenever the, a gun would come out, and uh, you know, depending upon, especially if I thought that the person was pulling it out didn't have much sense. You know, I was going the other way. Like, hey, man, I, I'm not even trying to be around this. Yeah, you know what I mean? Probably. Honestly, you know, but, right, but, right, right. you know, now having these conversations has got me thinking like, okay, um, I do want to make sure that, that my kids understand, you know, what, what the purpose of a gun is and then, you know, gun safety and, uh, and even gun laws, you know, especially because, you, you know, you got to understand yeah. if you're with somebody that may be breaking the law, what does that look like and, and how to, you know, what you need to do not to have yourself in that situation uh, so that you don't get caught up in, in a bad mm -hmm. situation. Yeah, my daughter, she yeah. turns two at the end of this month and she definitely will be in the woods with me this year. And then my oldest is 10, oh, I it. getting ready to turn okay, 11. She's looking forward. She was asking me the other day. She was like, hey, are we going back to uh, South Carolina to go on that hunt again? I'm ready this year. I get to actually shoot a weapon and, and harvest my first deer. I was like, yeah, I'm going I'm to take you out there. We're going to start practicing, do some more practice with the bow. And then I'll uh, put either the shotgun or the muzzleloader in your hand and let you get comfortable with that. So by the time when we get down there in October, you're ready to harvest your first deer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That introduction is, is is key, you know. Um, you know, again, depending on where you're from, um, will determine how you are taught about guns. When I was growing up, you know, you was talking about um, having, you know, with your grandmama having a gun in the purse and things like that. You know, when I grew up, um, I come from a family in a generation where everybody had guns. Um, you know, daddy kept his in the corner by the nightstand. Um, my uncle, I would go to his house, and he got the gun rack right there in the, in the living room where all the kids and grandkids and everybody is. You got the shotgun and the two rifles right there over, over the desk. And the thing that I tell people is this, you know, I believe that, you know, times get weaker. Um, well, the standard gets weaker, and the acceptable behavior of people get weaker. 
you know, over the time and over the years, because ask yourself this question. You know, I was born in 71. Back before I was born, people have always had guns out. I mean, had guns in the house. I mean, it's popular to have a gun rack in your house and have a glass gun case with all your guns. Uh, my uncles, my granddaddy, everybody uh, had guns. Um, in my family, nobody ever shot nobody. None of the kids ever grabbed a gun and went and shot somebody. So my question is, what has changed from the 1700s to the 1990s? Because stuff started getting wild in the 90s, the late 80s and early 90s. That's when stuff started getting wild with the school shooting uh, and stuff like that. So, my, so again, it's about how you raise a person. Because if my and my uncle, I mean, I look, I think, I think to my uncle, he raised all his kids and most of his grandkids in the same house with the same guns and the same gun rack, and nobody ever shot anybody. <laughs> so, what? So, why is gun ownership and introducing kids to guns and why is it a bad thing now in this day and time? And what happened to cause people to go from being responsible gun owners where guns are part of the family, people knew the role of a gun and the rules of a gun, to people being out of control? Yeah, the, the, you said it earlier, man. You touched on it. I mean, it, the rise of, of a lot of the inner city uh, violence, you know, because of several factors. But, you know, we can go back to, you know, drug epidemic, a lot of a lot of things that brought a lot of the inner cities down and and made for circumstances to where a lot of young people in those communities felt like they needed weapons for the wrong reasons. Um, and it became a method, a means yep. of survival, but then also a method and a means of territorial, you know, dominance, if you will, to strike fear in others. And so the stigma, you know, behind all that just grew and grew and grew to now the story is is what it is in a lot of inner cities. And yeah, you see a, a young person of color with a gun, you automatically think negative because, you know, for the last, what, 30 years at least, if not more, really more, you know, we, we've, we've seen that and that's been on the forefront. Um, so I guess, man, in, in asking a brother like yourself, you know, question, like, where do we even start to, to reverse some of these narratives, man, and, and get gun culture back? To, to where it used to be? It's funny you you asked that question because I told you earlier in, in, in the interview that uh, I'm at that age now where I've seen kind of both sides. And as, and as I get older, I kind of, you know, see where certain things didn't make sense. One is in the black community, you know, guns is a big part of the rap hip hop culture. You know, it's a status symbol, it's a power tool. Um, one is, you know, within the music, you know, I mean, Guns are not something to be idolized or, um, you know, I mean, who cares about a Glock 40? Back in the day, you know, when um, Dr. Dre's rapping about his Nina, you know, his nine, you know, I would say one changed that color. Trust me, I was a two live crew fan too back in the day. So I've been around for a minute. So, you know, over the years, you see NWA, you see all these different groups. A lot of people don't, don't know that about me. They think I'm a, a, a choir boy, so I'm more a preacher, but I'm not. <laughs> I just have that look, I guess. But uh, I've been a diehard rap fan since day one, uh, from gangster rap to all of it. And uh, you see, you know, back in the day, you could see the um, the culture, you know, of the of the lyrics go from Sugar Hill Gang and um, uh, Rakim and Eric B rapping about, you know, different things on the street and just life to the gangster rap, the the criminal element of it. So 
one, I think if we if we start, you know, kind of censoring that and taking that out, that would help, um, you know, kind of paint the right picture. But then two, going back to what Randall said earlier, is uh, the mentorship introduction. Uh, when I talk to people about guns, uh, you know, you teach them, hey, you know, I, for example, I was in Kansas City talking to a group back in the day, introducing them to hunting. And I had, a, I think, a hammer, some scissors, a, a broom, and a gun on the table at the um, community center. And I said, um, you know, uh, what's the difference between uh, all these tools up here? And um, they said, well, that's a gun. I said, well, which one of them up here is the most dangerous is, 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 is a weapon? Everybody pointed to the gun. I said, well, technically, all of these can be used as a dangerous weapon. It all depends on how you use it. I said, if you take this gun and, you know, use it for shooting cans, use it for hunting, use it for recreation like that, you know, it's fine. I said, if you take this uh, pair of scissors that's used for cutting fabric and go stab somebody, then that's a weapon. So it all depends on how, it's all about how you use the tool. And I tell people that, like you mentioned earlier, um, uh, and give me your name again. I know I, I should ask that early on. I know we did it right before we started the podcast, but not Randall, but. Yeah, Marcus, Marcus, yeah. Marcus, yeah. Marcus, there we go. Thank, that's right, Marcus. Okay. I thought so. I wasn't sure, though. But Marcus, like I said, um, with, I tell people, I say, look, if you take this gun, going back to something you said earlier about it's not the two, it's not the gun, it's the person. I say, if you take this gun and you load this gun and you leave this gun on this table, and you, I mean, you set this gun on this table, it'll sit here to the end of time. It will not jump up and shoot anybody. It takes a person to take this gun, to pick it up, and to point it at somebody to kill them. So a gun is just a tool. So I think, you know, one is proper introduction, um, you know, um, teaching people the right way like we did, well, no matter if you're black, white, or whatever, like we did back in the day, is you teach your kids about shooting, safety, um, make it fun, go out and shoot cans, go out and do stuff like that. So I think that's the first start. Man, that's good, bro. I really love that. You know, I, lo- I like that. Is that for use for the kids? I would have been that kid that had you laughing, man, because I would have said, man, that broom is the most dangerous one because my mama will kill us if we don't sweep her floors right. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that. Hey, this is all good. <laughs> oh man, man. I, hey, I love this, man. This, hey, we got we got to do this again, Randall. We definitely, definitely. If if Eric is interested, we would love to have you back on the show. Yeah, man, no problem, Randall. Like I told you, whatever I can do to help, man. Like I say, hey, I, I'm, I'm 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 here to help. I definitely appreciate it. Um, I definitely appreciate it. I would say, um, I'm gonna go ahead and give the pro tip of the day. Uh. Everybody knows the season's getting ready to start deer season. Uh, in North Carolina this year, it starts September the 9th. Um, if you're in the lower country of South Carolina, it's getting ready to start August the 15th. Um, I would say double check your tree stands that you have already hung in the woods. Make sure the straps on them are still good. The stands that you're putting up currently, make sure your straps are good and secure. Also, um, try this tip with shooting your bows and also muzzleloader shotgun rifle, um, whatever weapon you're, you're firing at the time. Do a workout and get your heart rate up and then practice shooting because I know a lot of people have an issue with what they call buck fever. I guarantee you that'll help you. But uh, 
Thank y'all for tuning in to today's show. Love, peace, chicken grease. Until next time, I'm out. Moss Outdoorsman was brought to you by Bobby Long and Alpha and Omega Bell Bobby, Randy Beach and AJ Voorhees, Crossroads Brand and MWD Outdoors, Todd Hare from the Hair Ranch and TNT Custom Calls, Mike Sumner from the Sumner Group, Alex Bryce, AB Lighting and Electrical, and Mark Kaufman from Kaufman Painting. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Tune in next time for more pro tips and tricks on how to be the best outdoorsman that you can be. Yo, 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 what's up, y'all? Y'all already know what it is. It's another great episode of The Most Outdoorsman. Hey, y'all want to get connected with my man, Eric? This is how you got to do it. Go to Instagram at non-typical-outdoorsman. All right, that's at non-typical-outdoorsman. Or you can follow him directly at eric underscore n dot t dot o underscore morris hey my man on facebook too at non-typical outdoorsman tv or at eric morris he's also on twitter at the real underscore n t o t v and linkedin as well at eric n dot t dot o morris hey y'all also know that we cannot get out of here without having our scripture of the day proverbs 22 and 6 train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he will not depart from it listen y'all we appreciate you hanging out with us as always until next time peace